Would you join me in praying this morning and asking the Lord to give us ears to hear that we can see the things that God has prepared for us. That we can hear the things that our ears can't hear. Father, we just ask you this morning to give us ears to hear and eyes to see beyond the audible and the tangible. To be able to experience what you told us, that those things that eyes not seen, ears not heard, nor enter in the heart of man, but you have revealed them to us by your Spirit. And so we ask you to reveal reality to us in the Spirit this morning. That we would not just settle for what we can hear with our ears, that we just not be satisfied with what we can see with our eyes, but that we would open our hearts and invite you to quicken our hearts, see the realities that you have provided in the person of your Son, Jesus. Just show us what we can't see. Tell us what we can't hear. By revelation, reveal your Son and the reality of your Son to us today. And we bless you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> usually, Joni and I wake up in the morning, and uh, it's like a synchronized chaos in the kitchen, it's just running into each other. And it takes us about 10 minutes to start talking. And after 10 minutes, she starts talking, and I realize I don't have my hearing aids in. So, and she may have been talking all along, I don't know. So I put them in. Well, this morning she left early, so there was nobody there to talk to me, so I never put my hearing aids in. So I forgot them at home. So if you're going to talk to me, take your mask off and talk loud. All right? Uh, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 2. <clears throat> What we're seeing with Jesus coming on the scene is the mystery of God being unfolded. What we're seeing, when we look here in the Gospels and even in the Epistles, and we see a description of Jesus and we see what he did, what's happening is that God is unfolding a mystery the mystery of God that was hidden. God kept hidden for all of those years until Jesus came on the scene and he says, here's the mystery. And it was a mystery. It was alluded to with Adam and Eve. It was alluded to in the tabernacle. It was alluded to in the temple. But the reality was Jesus, and they didn't see it. They didn't grasp it. Even for many of them who were still attached to the symbols, didn't see the reality of the mystery 
whenever it showed up right before them, right in front of them. The meeting place of God has arrived. The meeting place of God has arrived. The temple of God is here. Revealed in this mystery that it never was about a building. It was always about a person. It was always about a man. Every one of those buildings was the type, a symbol of the reality of the man. And now it's here. It's always been about Jesus. In Jesus, the answer to the question, where can I meet God and know him personally, is answered. In Jesus, you want to know where to meet God? In Jesus. You want to know what God is like? In Jesus. You want to be intimate with God? Be intimate with Jesus. He is that expression. What had been portrayed symbolically in the tabernacle and the temple is now brought forth in reality in Christ. The mystery that had been hinted at, the mystery that had been alluded to, is now fulfilled and realized in the person of Jesus Christ. Ian Paul made this statement. In the New Testament narrative, the distinctive importance of the sacred places is deconstructed by the person of Jesus. Let me read that again. In the New Testament narrative, the distinctive importance of the sacred places is deconstructed by the person of Jesus. All of these sacred places are just demolished because now the reality is on the scene. He alone is the place to meet God. The meeting place is a person. Listen, the cross is the last altar ever ordained by God. No more symbols. No more altars. Even in Romans 12 when he said, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Not a sacrifice that goes to the altar and is slaughtered, but a sacrifice that is lived out daily. Because there is no more altar. There is no more altar necessary. Because Jesus is the reality of everything that took place in that temple, in that holy of holy place. He is the reality of it. And I don't think it's any mystery or a mistake that that piece of furniture that was there can't be found. It's gone. Nobody knows where it's at. Why? We don't need it. And I guarantee you if we found it, we'd go back because we love our superstitions. We love our symbols when the reality is right here in front of us. What took place symbolically in the temple now takes place in the reality of Jesus. Let me show you some things. He was the place to meet God. Remember we talked about 
Where do we meet God? Well, we met him in the garden. We met him in the tabernacle. We met him in the temple. And all of those was a symbol. But now the reality, the substance has come, and that which was in symbol now is in reality. He, the person, Jesus, is the place to meet God. In Matthew one twenty three, when the angel came to, Jesus, to, to Joseph and said, you're going to call, you're going to have a child, you're going to call his name Emmanuel. God with us was the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 when the prophet Isaiah says, you're going to have, a virgin will have a child and you will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is the place to meet God. <clears throat> Look in John chapter 2. We're going to turn to a lot of scriptures today, so hang on. <clears throat> okay. In John chapter 2, need to turn it down a little bit. It's more of that than anything else. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He didn't say destroy this body. What did he say? <clears throat> he said destroy. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said destroy this temple. Why? Because this is the place you meet God. This is the temple. God always had a temple. He always wanted a temple. It just never was a building. And now Jesus says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? Didn't see it. Didn't compute. <clears throat> but he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples then remembered that he had said this, and they believed in Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. How offensive it was to the religious group who came, who one came and challenged their symbol and said, the reality's here. I am the temple. I am the meeting place of God. And it offended them. They sought then to destroy him. We still have a tendency. We got to have our symbols. And what happens is our symbols then become superstitions. And we forsake the Lord altogether. So Jesus, this was the only place to meet God. Here's another thing we talked about. This is where you found out what God is like. Look with me in John 1, 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Is that a good picture? What did Jesus do? He explained the Father. He explained what God is like. He manifested what God is like. He revealed what God is like. You want to know what God is like? Here he is. Here's the one to reveal to us. We find out what God is like in John chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 8. One of the disciples that had been with Jesus from the very beginning came to him and says, Lord, show us the Father. We're having some questions here. We got some doubts. 
Just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Jesus said, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus came and to let us know what the Father was like. He came to reveal what he was like. There was a type in the tabernacle. There was a symbol in the temple. But now the reality of God is right here in front of him. You want to know what the Father is like? Here it is. Look at me. All right? It was how we find what God is like. Here's another one. It was the place where God gave commandments and instructions, just like on the Mount uh, Sinai, just like in the tabernacle, just like in the temple. God gave instructions. God gave directions. He gave commands. Here, this new temple, it's still a place where God gives commands. It's still a place where God gives instructions. Look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. You want to know what God wants? Look in John chapter 8, verse 25. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from them, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things which are pleasing to him. Want to know what God wants? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God wants? Who are you? Well, watch me and you'll see. You want to know what God wants? Here it is. You want to know what God wants you to do? Look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. What does God want me to do? Well, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You want to know what God wants you to do? He says, this is what you've heard. I'm going to tell you what God wants you to do. Look in Mark chapter 12. Verse 28, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, foremost is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. We're running around saying, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Like it's this great big mystery. He says, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to love God with all of your heart, and I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Get that down, and then come back, and I'll give you something else. What does he want me to do? He wants me to love the Lord my God with all my heart. Look in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. What does God want me to do? He wants me to love the Father with all my heart and love you like I love myself. Well, okay. What is God up to? Okay, what is God up to? You want to know what God's up to? Look in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. You want to know what the father is doing? Watch the son. He's the tangible expression of the father. You want to know what God is up to? Watch the son. Whatever the son is doing is what the father is doing. And notice this, what is God saying? Boy, you hear that a lot. What's God saying? John chapter 12, verse 49. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. You want to know what God is saying? Listen to the Son. He's not going to say anything except what the Father says. You want to know what God's saying? What's Jesus saying? Look in John chapter 7, verse 14. When he was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered and said to them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Want to know what God's saying? Listen to the Son. He is that expression of God. He is the commandment of God. He is the direction of God. He is the instruction of God. And he manifested it on earth and said, this is it. Do it. Now notice something else. It's the He was the only way to God from the earth. He was it. 
What we said about the tabernacle. Remember Jesus said, the Father said, I'm going to be here. There's the only place I'm going to be. I'm going to be here. If you want to meet me, you come here. Now, here's the reality of that temple. And this living temple now is the only place on the earth to the Father. Look in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm it. I am the portal. How do I break through? You don't have to break through. You just get in the portal. All right? You enter into the portal. He was the portal. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. All transactions with God took place at this place. All transactions with God take place at this place in this person. Okay? Here's another one. God's glory abided here. Remember the tabernacle, the glory of God? Remember the temple, the glory of God settled on the temple? You remember the glory of God left, and we didn't hear anything about the glory of God for 600 years? And the angels came to the, to the uh, shepherds, and when they did, and he announced Jesus was here, the glory of God showed up again. Now look in John chapter 1. This is the abiding place of the glory of God. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that cool? Here's the glory of God. Look in verse 29 in chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove. Now, you got to pay attention, okay, when we read Scripture. We come up with all kinds of stuff. A dove did not light on Jesus. The Spirit lighted, and it reminded John, that looked like a dove. But it wasn't a dove. It was the Spirit of God. And we, we were looking for the symbols. The dove would be a symbol. He don't need a symbol. He's the reality. The spirit descending on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It's like a dove. Get that? You're going to see this later. There's going to be a test on this, all right? <clears throat> he says, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, abiding on him, staying on him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen him and have testified that this is the Son of God. All right? Look in John chapter 12. 
Verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your Son. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had been thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus says, this voice was not come for my sake, but for your sakes it has come. Judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The glory of God abided on Jesus as depicted in the Holy Spirit who came on him and remained on him and abided on him. No place else did the glory of God abide like it abided on Jesus. Now look in Luke chapter 9. Don't get lost. Hang on. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. Behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. But when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Look, it's a good idea for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. He did that a lot. Does it sound familiar? Not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of heaven saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That has not changed. This is my son. Listen to him. My glory abides on him. Listen to him. Hear what he has to say. God was shouting, I am here. Here, this is where I am, as the glory abided on him. Here's another one. Prayers going through this place were heard by the Father. Remember what God said at the tabernacle? All prayers directed at this, toward this place will ascend to the Father. All right, go back and look at it. Now we're going to find out that that hasn't changed. There's still a temple that all prayers that are ascended through him, through this temple, are heard by the Father. Okay? Look with me in John chapter 15. Jesus said, You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, 
he will give to you. Now look in John 16, verse 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, an hour is coming when I will no longer to speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved him and have believed that I came from the Father. I came from the Father, have come into the world, I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Now, how many of you have ever prayed anything and tacked Jesus' name on at the end of it and it didn't get answered? Yeah, all of us have. Well, something's wrong. Either he's lying or we don't quite grasp what that means. Listen, what he's saying is when you pray to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, it'll get answered. Tacking the name of Jesus on the end of a prayer does not mean praying in Jesus' name. There's that superstition. There's that hocus-pocus that we're so quick to embrace. One great historian said, religions come and religions go, but superstition lasts forever. And Christianity, the Christian religion, is consumed with superstition. One of those superstitions, we can pray whatever we want and stick Jesus' name on the end of it, and he's got to hear it. That is not what he says. Listen, to pray in the name of someone represents that person's authority and it represents his will. If I am an ambassador to a king and I go to another country and I say, I am here in the name of the king, that doesn't mean I can go do anything I want to do and the king's going to back it. I am here representing the will of the king. I am here representing what the king wants. I can't make something up and just throw his name in there and expect the king to say, oh, my goodness, you use my name, I'll do whatever you want. But we do that with the Father. Praying in Jesus' names means that I have determined what I have prayed is the will of the king the will of the one I am representing. Which means long before I ever open my mouth, I need to listen and find out what the Father wants and pray what the Father wants. And then I am praying in Jesus' name. To the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. All three of them are involved in it. But it's not just a, a, a hocus, it's not, it's not like saying abracadabra, make it happen. It's determining the will of the one of whose name I am praying in.
All right? Here's another one. It is a place where the Lord was ministered to. And we talked about that. Whenever they went into the temple, they went in to minister to the Lord. Whenever the priests went in there, they went in to minister to the Lord. Look in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. <clears throat> now, one of the Pharisees re- was requesting him to dine with him. <clears throat> he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she had learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. Standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of person this was and who's touching him, that she's a sinner. He, she, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed the hundred denarii, the other fifty. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. <clears throat> he said to him, you've judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she was wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. All of those things that she did were expressions of worship. That's one of the things the Pharisees had an issue with. He says he's God. He's allowing this woman to worship. Not only that, look at the kind of woman she is. And Jesus says some profound things. There were many that worshiped Jesus. The wise men worshiped Jesus. The leper who was healed worshiped Jesus. The ruler who wanted to have his daughter healed worshiped Jesus. The disciples worshiped Jesus. The Canaanite woman worshiped Jesus. The man who was healed, the blind man who was healed, came back and worshiped Jesus. It was here that the Lord was ministered to. And it was ministry to the Lord, to him personally, to what he wanted. Here's another one. God's name abided here. John chapter 5, verse 43. God's name, just like in the tabernacle, in the temple, God said, my name will be here. This living temple comes, and he says, the name of God is here. Look in John chapter 5, verse 43. I have come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now look in chapter 6, verse 27. Do not work for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man to give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal, set his name, his approval. The name of the Lord abided here. The crowd, whenever he came into Jerusalem on the back of the donkey, which, by the way, was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Remember, we covered that when we were looking at Zechariah. 
came in on the back of a colt. And what did the crowd see? Blessed is he who comes in the what? In the name of the Lord. He is coming in the name of God, and that name is his expression here on the earth. Earth. And then, just about the time they begin to believe, they begin to embrace who he was. About the time they begin to embrace who that he was who he said he was, about the time that they begin to embrace that he was who he says he was and that they started to receive him, he begins saying things like this, okay? Now, he's come, reveal the Father. They struggled with it. They fought and argued and disagreed with it. They doubted. They questioned it. And just about the time that they begin to think, you know, maybe he really is who he says he is. Maybe he really is Jesus. Maybe he really is that temple. Then he began to talk like this, John 7, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus says, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Here he's gone to all this effort to convince them that he is the Son of God. He is the temple. He is the presence of God. He is the expression of the Father on the earth. And he does all of these things to manifest that, and he, they begin then begin to believe And then he throws this out. I'm leaving, by the way. I'm not going to be here very long. And you're going to look for me, but you ain't going to find me. And on top of that, where I'm going, you can't go. Then he says things in John chapter 16. Look in verse chapter, chapter 16, verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look in verse 16. A little while, you'll no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. You think they weren't confused? I'm confused reading it. You're going to see me for a little while, but then in a little while you're not going to see me for a little while. Some of the disciples then said to one another, what is he telling us? A little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Look in John, same chapter, verse uh, 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Look in John 13, verse 31. He came, therefore, when he had come and gone, when he had gone out, Jesus said, 
Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. As I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another, even as I love you, that you also love one another. Well, this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter, again, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you can't follow me, but you'll follow me later. Oh, no, Lord, I can go. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. I'll lay down my life for you. Will you lay down your life for me? I say to you, rooster crow, not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know what you're going. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, just, just put yourself in their position. They've left their businesses. They've left their home. Here's the one that's going to liberate the Jews from the Romans. Here's the one that's going to set up his kingdom. It took us a while to embrace it. It took us a while to get our minds around it. But now we're all in. He's talking about leaving. He's talking about checking out. Not only that, he's got this other, <clears throat> this other weird stuff he's talking about in John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. I don't want another helper. I want you. Oh, I would never say that. You say it now. Yeah, I'm not I'm interested in the Spirit. I want, I'd like to be there when Jesus was there. Jesus said, no, it's to your advantage that I leave. It's going to get better after I leave. I'll send you a helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Wait a minute. How are you going to be in me? How am I going to be in you? We, we're kind of getting this thing about you being in the Father, but now you're saying you're going to be in, I'm going to be in you, and you're going to be in me. Not only that, you're leaving. What kind of deal is that? Hopes were rising that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But confusion lurked as he talked about leaving. Then, just as he said, the religious crowd rose up and destroyed the temple. This temple. Just as he said, and their hopes were dashed. The meeting place 
is once again gone. They didn't get it at first. He had to appear to some of them. They didn't even take the words of the women at the, at the tomb. I've got to see for myself. Thomas said, uh, not me. I've got to put my hands on the scars and touch him and feel him. They said they would destroy the temple. He said they would destroy the temple. They destroyed the temple. But just as suddenly and as unexpectedly, just as he had said early on, destroy the temple, and in three days I will raise it up, and he did just that. They destroyed it, and God raised it up three days later. Woohoo! The temple is back. The meeting place of God is back. They touch him. They embrace him. They worship him. Yay, he's back. Good deal. Let's go get Rome. Just as they begin to believe that he was now here to redeem Israel, he meets them on a mountain in Galilee and does the unexpected. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> he meets them on a mountain in Galilee. Now, boy, think about the roller coaster ride. All right? Here they are looking for the Messiah, you know, about half heartedly. Think they got it all figured out how he's going to come. And then this servant comes who says he's the one God sent. They have a hard time with that. Then they embrace it. Then they're all for it. Yes, bring it on. That's it. And then he leaves. But wait, then he comes back. All right, now he's here. Then he takes him up to this mountain in Galilee, and he does the unexpected again. He leaves again. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they were worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising but that's not all that was said. And for all the rest of what was said, you got to look in Matthew 28, okay? Here they are. Jesus came and spoke to them, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things all, it was all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Boop, I'm gone. He just got these sayings with me forever, and he leaves. What kind of deal is that? And again, the roller coaster takes a dive. Again, well, now what are we going to do? <clears throat> well, the last thing he told him, the last thing he told him was not to go and make disciples. The last thing he told him, is go to Jerusalem and stay there until something else happens. And here's the something else that happens. There is another mystery to come. Jesus was the mystery of God, but now there is the mystery of Christ that has yet to come. And he says, you go to Jerusalem and you wait for it. There's another mystery to be revealed. This wasn't the only mystery. He talks about another mystery, and that's the next part.
okay? That's the next part. We've seen the mystery of God revealed in Christ. He's the meeting place of God. And he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And then he leaves. He says, but one's coming. One will come to fulfill and realize with reality the mystery of Christ. The mystery of God is that God was in Christ. That was the mystery. Not the building, not the temple, not the tabernacle, not the mount. Those were symbols. The reality was God is in Christ, the mystery of God. But there's still another mystery to come, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is what we experience and what we realize. And we'll learn more about that next week. All right? Uh, I'd take your questions, but I couldn't hear them. So email them, text me to me, to them this week.